Welcome back to the Pathway Podcast. In this week's episode, Executive Pastor Mitchell Nelden wraps up the series on the first step towards wisdom. Uh, this is uh, part three of, of Fear of the Lord. Uh, we This is... Uh, Part three of, of four, so hopefully you've hung in there with us every step of the way. we got one more to go after this, and uh, we, the first week we, we talked about how fear is running not from God, right? We typically run from things that, that we're afraid of. Fearing God is, is different in that you run to him. In the second week, last week, we talked about what reverence is, and reverence is a big part of fearing God, of where we can deepen our understanding of who God is, deepen our understanding of who we are, and out of that, submit to him. Because he's holy, and we're not, and we should give our plans to him. And there's a clear connection to uh, submission, or not submission, a clear connection to fear and obedience. There's not any way to get away from that. Now, a lot of people, are, I'm, I'm one of these people, I'm not a big fan of, of obedience, but I'm also not a big fan of disobedience either. Carrie gets on to me because she likes to break the rules a lot more than me. I'm a, I'm a big rule follower, but obedience isn't that much fun. But of course, if you've ever been in a situation where people are disobeying and you know that the stakes are pretty high, we need to obey here. Like when you give the instructions on an airplane, I'm one of the guys that are making sure everybody's paying attention. Like if things go bad, you got to know what to do. Make sure you listen so you can obey. And once upon a time, I was a, a substitute teacher when Carrie and I first got married. And I quickly learned the connection between fear and obedience. If you're a teacher, you know what I mean. If the kids don't fear you just a little bit, disobedience is going to come, right? And so when I... I Worked in ministry all through college, and so I, I, I'm not the most friendly person naturally, so I had to learn friendliness, and I think Jeremy, Jeremy actually coached us up in friendliness a lot to help us not to be fake, but to be genuinely friendly. So I tried to take that into the classroom when I was a substitute teacher, and so I would, I would stand beside the door as kids walked in, and I would say, good morning, how are you? And, they, and they, they knew, as soon as they saw me smiling, telling them good morning, they knew they had me. A substitute teacher smiling, that's bad, right? I quit. After about a week, I learned, I got to stop smiling. I got to stop being friendly. So after about a week, this is what it looked like when kids walked in. Maybe a head nod, Maybe. Not a smile would come across my face. I would not smile all day. And I would come home and I would be exhausted because I just, but the reason I did that was because I wanted obedience. I wanted the kids to fear me just enough that they would obey me. And that's a hard thing to do as a substitute teacher. There's this clear connection between fear and obedience. And, and we've been talking about how scary God is and how when, our, when we don't have a proper fear of God, things can get out of whack, and, and we need to make sure that we are taking that first step towards wisdom, which is fearing God. And so this week is about obedience. And hopefully, uh, I don't lose you here, because obedience can, like I said, can be kind of boring. But here's a connection in Scripture between fear and obedience. The writer of Ecclesiastes, he's summing up this book Ecclesiastes. It's got a lot of good things in it, a lot of uh, weird things in it, but... We're going to be reading chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. So the writer here, he's wrapping up the story. He says, that's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. 
Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. So we see a clear connection. In Scripture, we can't argue with it. There's a connection between obedience and fear. If you fear God, you're going to obey him. If you obey God, that's an expression of fearing God in a way. And so we're going to be looking into that. And just so I don't lose you, let's rephrase what what obedience could be. Don't think about obedience as something you should do and think about growing up when your dad tells you, when you said, why should I obey you? And he says, because I said so. Let's forget that. I don't want you to set that aside for now. I want you to think about obedience as an opportunity. Think about obedience as an opportunity. Now that gets me a little incentivized here to think about obedience in a different way when it's viewed as an opportunity. If if obedience is an opportunity, therefore disobedience, what is that? That's a missed opportunity. You don't want to miss opportunity. When opportunity knocks, you want to make sure you open that door. And what obedience is, is is opportunity knocking at your door and for you to have the chance to open it up and to take advantage of this opportunity. So let's look at the first time someone ever disobeyed. The first time someone ever disobeyed. In Genesis chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, you can flip over there. We'll be there for a little bit. Now this is the creation story. And at this point, God has created Adam and Eve. In verse two, or chapter 2, verse 15, says, The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden. You can eat every tree of the garden. You can eat its fruit, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. That's pretty simple, Right? As far as rules go, as far as obedience goes, pretty straightforward. You got all these different options, except for this one. You got one rule. You got one job. Do not eat this tree. You can eat all the other trees, and it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, there was another tree called the tree of life, and they could eat of the tree of life all that they wanted. They could pick the fruit off the tree of life and eat it all they wanted to. But as far as like the tree of knowledge of good and evil, don't do that. That's something you're not supposed to do. That's the only rule at the beginning of creation. In Genesis chapter 3, we see where man and woman are tempted. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat or even touch it. If you do, you will die. In verse 4, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. It's interesting to me, all three weeks so far, snakes have been in there. It's weird. It's scary. All right. It's a God thing. In verse 6, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. Now notice Eve's process, right? Eve has a process. She says she saw that the tree was beautiful, so she's tempted with this decision. The serpent is saying, hey, eat this tree. It's the one rule you're not supposed to break, but 
are you really going to get the consequences that God said you're going to get? I don't, I don't think so. And so Eve processes this. She looks at the tree. It's beautiful. She looked at the fruit. It looks delicious. She wanted the wisdom that the serpent said it would give to her. She was processing this. I think that the reason uh, Adam was not the first one was because a man's process is not as complicated. I don't think that he would even have thought about it. I think it would have said, the serpent said, hey, go eat that tree. And the man said, okay, and ate it. In this story, we get the process of sin a little bit. We get to dig in to what it looks like for us to approach sin and to think about it and to weigh the options. And what I want you to notice is that when she's processing this, no fear of God is mentioned. No mention of her thinking about the consequences. There's no reverence. There's not thinking about who God is. There's just thinking about the tree and how beautiful it looks, looking at the fruit and looking how delicious it is. She talks, she thinks about the wisdom that it could give to her. She wants the wisdom from that fruit as opposed to the wisdom that God would give her. And so this is disobedience where she takes the fruit and she eats it. Where she looks at the fruit and she not only eats it, but she takes it to to Adam and he does the same thing. And what we want to look at is not as opportunity as doing what you're supposed to or not doing what you're supposed to. That's boring. I want to try to engage you a little bit more. I want you to think about the missed opportunity that this disobedience had. This obedience that she could have said, no, serpent, I'm going to obey God. I'm going to do what he said. This, the opportunity was to live in paradise with God forever. For their relationship with God to be so close that they would spend physical time together. They would be together side by side in the same place, in the same garden, living in paradise, free from death, free from all the bad things that would come. That was the opportunity that God said, hey, if you, do the, if you just obey this one rule, just do this one thing, and don't have this, this, this lapse in judgment, don't have this temptation that you give into, if you just grab a hold of obedience, the opportunity that you have is going to be one spending eternity with God in paradise. But we know the story. They eat of the fruit. They miss that opportunity. They have to deal with the consequences. They're separated from God. If they would have stayed there, they would have continued to eat the tree of life. And they probably, you can assume that they probably would have lived forever. But because they sinned, because they broke the one rule, and because now they have the knowledge of good and evil, God didn't want them to live forever. So he sent them out of the garden. Because if you live forever knowing good and evil, that's a bad situation. And a person that can live forever, that... Is, has the opportunity to do evil, it's a bad situation. He sends them out. It's a different sermon. We'll, we'll dig into that at some point. And the curse from their disobedience gets transferred to their children and their children and their children. What a missed opportunity. There's not many decisions that we can make that will descend through all humanity. I, I don't think there is one, but they made the biggest mistake anyone has ever made and disobeying God, and forfeiting the opportunity to live in his presence forever. Now we're going to fast forward. The next time in Scripture, in the story of the Bible, that we see a sinless person like Adam and Eve had never sinned before that moment. The next time that we see a sinless person who is tempted to sin is Jesus himself. So we're going to go over to Luke 
chapter 4. We're going to look at this story and we're going to contrast it a little bit, compare it. And this is the, the first story is about disobedience, right? The first story is about how all of us got in the mess that we're in right now. But in Luke chapter 4 is when Jesus shows up and he's, and he's sinless and he's about to begin his ministry. And this we're about to read where John the Baptist baptizes him and this marks the beginning of Jesus' ministry. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God comes down, descends as, as a dove. God the Father audibly speaks and you have the Trinity show up in Scripture all together in Luke chapter 3. And he says, this is God says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And the first thing that happens is God, the Holy Spirit, sends Jesus out into the wilderness. So Luke chapter 4, verse 1, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River where he was baptized. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. So let's contrast that, those two verses with the story we just read. Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden. They can eat of any tree that they want to. They can eat all the fruit that they want to except for this one. They don't, they're not hungry. There's all this vegetation. There's all this life surrounding them. There's all these great things happening. God is there. It's great. And then you have this story with Jesus. He's in the wilderness. If you Google image the Judean wilderness, there's nothing there. There's not any food to eat even if he wanted to. And for 40 days, he ate nothing and drank nothing. So we have Adam and Eve sinless in the garden, tempted by the serpent, and they give in to that temptation by taking of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. We have Jesus in the Judean wilderness, hungry and thirsty, haven't drank or anything for 40 days, but it says that he was tempted by the devil. And we can assume, because of the way it's worded, tempted by the devil for 40 days. You see the contrast. You see the comparison. You see where Jesus is in desolation being tempted. And you see where Adam and Eve are in paradise being tempted. You see Adam and Eve give in so easily to the one rule. And you see Jesus, if you continue to read, Jesus is tempted with power. He's tempted with hunger. And he's tempted with validation. He's tempted time and time again for 40 days in a desperate state, surrounded by nothing, just him. But yet Jesus never sins. Jesus never disobeyed. The opportunity that was given to Adam and Eve to spend eternity in paradise with God was forfeited. The opportunity that Jesus had to live the perfect life, to represent, to be the physical embodiment of God on earth, to do what Adam and Eve could not do, He took that opportunity and fulfilled it. In his obedience, he never never wavered. He never looked at temptation and seriously considered it. Each time he was tempted in this story, he replied to Satan with scripture. Jesus overcame temptation. And the obedience for him was the opportunity for Adam and Eve. And he fulfilled it and they didn't. And Paul talks about this in the letter to the Romans in Romans chapter 5. Paul says, because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. Their sin nature was transferred down to their children, their children, all the way down to us. But because righteous, but because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. So Paul's making this comparison. Adam sinned, therefore everybody else sins. 
Jesus never sinned, and therefore we can participate in their righteousness. The opportunity that was given to Jesus was for him to never disobey God, for him to fulfill what Adam and Eve were supposed to fulfill. And through that perfect life, and through the sinner's death, and through his resurrection, we now have a way back to God. We can now have an opportunity to have an eternal relationship with God that is eternally secure, that nobody can take away from us. Through Jesus, your obedience, don't don't get me wrong, now we're going to get into, into something that's a little bit confusing. Your obedience doesn't get you salvation. Your faith gets you salvation. But therefore, what we do in this life when we obey God, it's not that we are good enough to, be, to have a relationship with God. It's not that we're good enough to get to heaven. But we, when we obey God, we are following Jesus' footsteps. We're going to figure out why that's so important today. So what is, if salvation is not an opportunity to be good enough to get to heaven, that's not what it is, because Jesus already did that on the cross. What is the opportunity that obedience offers? When we obey God, what does it get us? I've grown up Baptist my whole life. Well, I'll take that back a little bit of something else. We can talk about it if you want to very early on. But ever since I was five, six, seven years old, I've heard Baptist theology. We're a Baptist church here. We have Baptist theology. And what I love about what we believe and what I love about our doctrine is that your obedience has nothing to do with whether or not you get to heaven. Your obedience has nothing to do with whether or not you get to heaven. Your faith does. Your faith in Jesus' obedience is what gets you to heaven. So what opportunity Does our obedience give us? If obedience is an opportunity, then what is that opportunity that our obedience gives us? Because my Baptist mind says, well, if I don't have to be good, if I don't have to obey, then why obey at all? That's a natural reaction. If we, the biggest prize in life is to make sure that we spend eternity with God in heaven and it's not determined by my obedience, then why do I have to do the things that I'm asked to do? And this is an issue right away for, for the early Christians. That question is an issue and a big deal and a lot of conversations and spurned a lot of different issues in the early church. And so Paul, the Apostle Paul, he write, writes a lot of letters, right? That's what we know about Paul. He traveled everywhere and he wrote a bunch of letters. And he wrote to the, to the church to the Christians in Galatia, he was writing to them, and what he wrote to them was addressing this issue. Because there was a group of of Jewish believers there that were saying, you know, this whole Jesus thing is great, but you still need to obey all the laws. You still need to look at the Mosaic law, and for you to be good enough, for you to go to heaven, for you to have the relationship with God that you need to have, you need to obey all the laws. And so Galatians chapter 5 we get an example of one of these laws that they place a big emphasis on. In verse 6, he says, For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. Praise God that when people come to believe in Jesus at this church as adults, and, and we have a lot of adults that come forward, and a lot of these, we don't have to say, hey, we got a little bit of an awkward question for you. Circumcision. We don't have to do that. 
Well, Paul says, he says, what is important is faith expressing itself in love. Now, don't get me wrong. We're talking about obedience. Faith is what gets you a relationship with God that is eternally secure, that nobody can take away from you. And when you die, you spend eternity with God in heaven. That's what Jesus did. Jesus' whole point of coming is so that we can depend on that and have faith in that. And we'll talk a lot about that next week. And so when it comes to obedience, you don't have to look to your obedience to do that for you. In fact, if you do that, you will never be able to obey enough. That's the whole story of Adam and Eve is that they failed. And so we will also fail in that. So Jesus showed up to obey in a way that we cannot. And so he continues to write in Galatians 5. And so, so Paul says, but, but it's still important for you to obey. It's still really important. It's not depend, your salvation is not dependent on it, but it's still really important for, for you to obey. Because some wild stuff was happening in the early church. People were sleeping with their mother-in-laws. People were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. Some crazy things were happening. And so Paul's saying, hey, like grace through faith, that, that's great. And, and you need to make sure you're depending on that for your salvation, your relationship with God. But it's still really important for you to obey. And this is why. In verse 13 of Galatians 5, he says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law could be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So the big question that was plaguing the early church and the early Christian mind was why obey? If we don't have to obey these 611 or 613 laws, depending on however you count them, if you don't have to do that, then what's the whole point of obeying? Can I just do whatever I want to do? And Paul says, no, the whole reason Christ came is so that you can depend on him, but then live your life in freedom. Freedom from condemnation that when you do disobey, it doesn't mean hell and separation from God. But be careful not to use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Serve one another in love. And Paul is, is quoting some scripture here in Deuteronomy 6. This is not uh, be on the screen. Verse 6 or chapter 6, verse 5. It says, To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. In Levit- Leviticus 19:18, it says, Love your neighbor as yourself. And in Luke chapter 10, if, if you flip over there, you see where God, Jesus, he's, he's ministering to people, and this religious leader comes up to him. He says, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And they have this conversation. He says, well, what do you think that it is? And the answer that the religious leader gives are these two verses. Deuteronomy 6, 5, love, love God. And Leviticus 19, 18, love your neighbor. And so Jesus says, you're right. All of the law can be summed up into these two commands. All of the law, and so Paul says, you can even put love God, and you, the way that you love God is through loving people. So you can take the whole law, all 613 laws can be summed up into this one law. Love your neighbor as yourself. So if you're looking at obedience, as a Christian, what does obedience look like for me? I don't have to obey. I don't have to worry about circumcision. I don't have to worry about making sure I'm ceremonial clean when I come to worship. I don't have to worry about these things. But what do I have to worry about? Apart when I depend on Jesus and I know that I have freedom, I'm living my life in freedom. What do I have to obey? You don't have to obey anything. 
Well, what Paul is saying is for you to live your life that God created you to live, you got to love your neighbor. And when you do that, all of those laws that were spelled out very clearly throughout the Old Testament, you are obeying the law just by loving your neighbor. This is difficult uh, to do because I'm going to list some things of, of, of people that, that no doubt I struggle with and you probably do as well. What Jesus is saying in Luke chapter 10 and what he says all throughout his scripture that you need to love people regardless of what sports team they root for. Oh, my, man. We played Texas this year, went to the game, and it's, I see that burnt orange. I'm just thinking, that's tough to love that person. That's real tough. Even like the logo looks like the devil. You need to love people regardless of their politics. That's tough. You need to love people regardless of their religion and what they believe and their value system. You need to love people regardless of their skin color. You need to love people regardless. This is this one's the convicted. It hurt me to write this down. You need to love people despite how busy you are. What a broken society we live in when we are too busy to love people. We fill our schedules up so much that we can't even look at the people that desperately need God's love in their life. And to slow down enough to obey the greatest commandment given to us. We prioritize so many things. If you don't love people, no matter what, unconditionally, agape love, if you don't love them no matter what, you're breaking the most important command. You are breaking all 613 laws that God gave ancient Israel. You are breaking the very reason that God created you. You are living a broken life. And when Christians, when the local church are failing to to obey, to love your neighbor as yourself, the gospel is not preached in a way that people will see it clearly and see how much God loves them. And no wonder everything's so messed up. No wonder we look around and it's tough to look at the news. It's tough to look at social media. It used to be just tough to look at the news. Now it's tough to look at what our neighbors are saying on social media. It's a difficult, broken world that we live in. And what we're supposed to do, just like Jesus 2,000 years ago showed up and said, hey, there's a better way. God loves you and it doesn't matter who you are or what you believe or where you worship. It doesn't matter. God loves you. And I'm going to demonstrate that to you through my life. And Jesus, every time there was an opportunity, with every breath that he had, every moment that he was here, loved every person he came in contact with. And therefore, he did what man did not do and grabbed a hold of the opportunity given to him as God and fulfilled that opportunity and through his obedience demonstrated who God was to the world, demonstrated who God was to us. 2,000 years later in Northwest Arkansas. What's great about this is that you are free to obey the command to love other people without being afraid that when you don't do it, you're going to hell. That's great, right? 
That should encourage us to, to do it every single day. That should encourage us when we, when we fail that we just don't give up. When we struggle, we just don't say, oh, that's it, I, I done messed it up. No, every single day you are living in the grace of God. And in that grace, you can wake up every day and say, I'm going to love people. I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. I'm going to obey God. I'm going to grab a hold of the opportunity that's been given to me and to live a life as a representative of Jesus to the world. How are you loving people? And when you love people, how are you therein obeying God? If you're not doing those things, you're not fearing God. If you're not loving people, you're not fearing God. When you're not fearing God, you're being foolish. The Bible is often confusing, but never wrong. And in verse 15, we see this verse. I've already dug into it. I've read it. I kind of jumped ahead a little bit. But verse 15 says, But if you are always biting and devouring each other, one another, watch out, but beware of destroying each other. It's easy to, it's more than ever, in my lifetime at least, easier to, to distance ourselves from people and to not embrace the idea of loving them. But what is really convicting is that we also are doing it within Christian community as well where we are allowing these, these differences and allowing differences in opinion and what's going on in our world to, to divide us and to keep us from actively loving each other. If the church can't love each other as brothers and sisters united in the Holy Spirit of God, then we are really going to struggle with loving the people that do not believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, who are not our brothers and sisters in the faith. Paul goes on and, and he describes what kind of life, a life of obedience looks like. And, and what we have in, in our, within ourselves because of our faith is we have the Holy Spirit. But we also have our flesh. And Paul talks about this tension between our flesh and the Spirit living within us. In verse 16, so I say to you, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the spirit, sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under the obligation of the law of Moses. So we know this. This is well established at this point, hopefully. Obedience doesn't save you or gets you to heaven it doesn't even get you a relationship with God. Faith does that, faith in Jesus. But what obedience does for you, the reason you should obey as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, somebody who's embraced Jesus as their Lord and Savior, you have that faith, it's an opportunity to live free from the condemnation that disobedience does, that, that your disobedience condemns you, your faith sets you free, but you're also afforded the opportunity through your obedience to live a life according to the Holy Spirit. What does it look like to, not, to live a life not according to the Holy Spirit and live a life according to your flesh? Paul gives us a list. Let's continue in verse 19. This is what it looks like. If you're wondering, am I living according to my flesh or according to my spirit? This is, this is what a life according to the flesh looks like. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. 
Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. This can be fusing, this last verse can be confusing. What he's saying here, and this, I've told you before, that the people living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. What I believe he's saying here is that if you're doing these things and you are a believer, you have the Holy Spirit within you, but you're living according to the flesh, you look like the people that do not have the Holy Spirit. That when you live a life according to what your flesh wants to do, when you just are approaching your everyday life and saying, I want to do this and I want to do that and I want to just obey what my flesh wants to do, you look just like somebody who doesn't have the Holy Spirit. So what does it look like to live a life according to the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit in verse 22, he explains, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. I know a lot of you know this song. I don't know this song, so I won't be singing it to you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Obedience allows you to have the freedom to live according to the Holy Spirit. Free from the fear of, oh man, this is gonna send me to hell. You're free from that kind of thinking. You're free from saying, am I good enough? I don't know, am I good enough today? Maybe I was good enough yesterday. You're free from that, but you're also free to live a life according to the Holy Spirit. If you notice the things in these two lists, the sinful nature part of you is about yourself. It's about what you want. And when you live your life day after day after day like that, the people that are closest to you suffer tremendously. But when you wake up every day and you say, I want to live a life according to the flesh, day after day after day, the people benefit from it. In verse 23, we say there is no law against these things. We are free to obey these. And, and I want you to notice the metaphor used by Paul. Just like snakes have been a theme, this morning what's been a theme is fruit. That the fruit in your life, when you live according to the Spirit, when you love people the way that you're supposed to, these things that are listed out in verses 22 and 23, these things that are listed out, people will see those in your life. And they will be able to benefit from those. If you think about fruit, uh, Ruby, she'll eat. We have a big bowl of, of watermelon that, that Carrie cut up, and she, Ruby eats that bowl about, we, we buy a watermelon a week, and she probably eats that whole bowl once a week. And she's covered in watermelon juice. What you have the opportunity to do as a Christian is you don't have to think about, oh, am I condemned because of my sin? No, your faith has set you free, but what your obedience does, it gives you the opportunity to live a life where the people around you benefit from the things that you do because you love them, because you're kind, because you're faithful. You have self-control. You just don't give in to temptation. You don't give in to your fleshly indulgence. You have peace. You have joy. And people get to benefit from the fruit in your life. The band's going to come forward. In obedience, it's, a, it's an opportunity And for you to grab a hold of that opportunity, it's, it's real simple, but it's real difficult. And that you love people. In Luke chapter 10, when Jesus has this conversation, 
with a religious leader, and he says, what do you think the most important law is? What do you think the most important command is? And the guy picks out those two, you know, he references loving God and loving neighbors. And Jesus knows that this guy's trying to trip him up, and he says, well, he asks the guy, well, who is your neighbor? You may know this, you may not. But Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And this guy, this Jewish guy, he's, he's traveling and he gets robbed and he gets beaten. And these people in their society, they're supposed to be the best of the best in their society, the most pious, the most godly people in their society. They pass him up on the road. They don't help this guy at all. Laying on the side of the road, beaten and robbed, and they don't help him at all. The guys that are the most like him, as far as beliefs goes, as far as society goes, they leave him on the side of the road. It's the, it's the guy that comes along that is viewed as other. It's the guy that, that is supposed to be separated from this guy because of their religion, because of the way that they live, the way that they dress. Everything is supposed to divide the Jewish guy that's beaten and robbed on the side of the road and the Samaritan. And what the Samaritan does, he picks the guy up, he tends to his wounds, he takes him into town, makes sure that he's good. He puts this guy back on his feet. And Jesus says, who do you think loved this man more? Who do you think that, who was a neighbor to this guy? Was it the guy that was like? Was it the guys that were like this guy that was beaten and robbed? Or was it the guy that was unlike him, who had all the reason in the world to keep walking, to keep passing this guy by? No, it was the guy who was different and believed differently, dressed differently, thought differently. It was that guy who truly loved this guy as his neighbor. If you're looking to be obedient in your life, you're looking to fear God, you're looking to be wise, you need to reach a hold of the opportunity that's been given to us because of our faith and the Holy Spirit living within us and to live according to that. Not because of what our flesh wants to do, but because the presence of God wants to do in our life. That's our challenge to you this morning, is that through obedience and grabbing hold of that opportunity, you will live a life that when people come in contact with you and the people you live with, the people you work with, they'll benefit from the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Let's stand and worship God for that opportunity.